0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. Thanks for being with us today. I hope you all had a wonderful, restful, and uh, probably smaller-than-usual Thanksgiving celebration. Despite everything that's going on, there is a lot to be thankful for, and so much of it has to do with where we aim our hearts In our minds. And so I hope that this season uh, you will continue looking for reasons to be grateful to God for all that He is doing in spite of everything that is happening around us. This morning we're going to continue with the Bible Project uh, series, but we're going to do something a little different. Uh, We're going to take four of their word study videos and put them together into a shorter mini series for Advent. Uh, You might not be familiar with Advent. It's a practice that Christians all around the world engage in. It begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, and it ends with Christmas Eve. And it's a time to set aside focus and attention to prepare our hearts and our minds for the wonder of Christmas. And, uh, you know, there's a saying that familiarity breeds contempt. I think that's true, but I think the greater danger is that familiarity breeds numbness, a kind of cold apathy about things that should get us excited. I remember on our first trip to Hawaii, uh, about 14, 15 years ago, uh, Jeannie and I were just caught off guard by the the breathtaking views. Everywhere we looked, you could point the camera in any random direction and, and click the shutter and you'd get a good photo. And my friend, Lane, Um, who I'd met through a different ministry uh, context, played the role of our host. And so, yeah, we did stay at some hotels and things like that, but we also stayed at his home, and he took us around and really showed us the island uh, from a native's perspective. And one of the things that I kept noticing was Jeannie and I were looking around, just breathtaking views. We we were awed. And we'd look at our friend Lane, who lived there, and he just seemed so numb to everything, and we kept saying to each other, how do you get used to this? I think that's one of the things about when something becomes so familiar, you begin to grow increasingly blind to the wonder that's right in front of you. Because you've seen it so many times, it, it, the way our brains work is those things begin to shrink and shrink and shrink in our mind's eye. In his excellent devotional made for Advent called, Come Let Us Adore Him, author Paul David Tripp has this to say, Often, when we become familiar with things, we begin to take them for granted. When we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often, when we are familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we are familiar with things, We tend not to celebrate them as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about this. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. What he's saying is the reason we observe Advent and the reason it matters so much is because Christmas is perhaps one of the most familiar things in the life of a Christian. It happens every single year, and there are so many societal scripts that just kind of run on autopilot all around us, Uh, rhythms and timings and traditions, so that after a while, this amazing story of what was going on in the world, what happened to us, it, it grows too familiar. And unless we are intentional, other things that are new, not better, but just new, different, they will begin to capture the wonder of our hearts. And as he said so well, what captures the wonder of our hearts largely controls the way we live and what we live for. So this morning we're going to look at joy, the first of those four Advent words. And I suppose the right place to start is by asking the question, what exactly is joy? And maybe a related question is, what joy is not? Or maybe, how is it different from things like happiness or pleasure. You know, one of the more common things you'll hear in church, and I've said this myself on a number of occasions, is that biblical joy is not the same as worldly happiness or just simple human happiness. And let's be be clear here, that can be a very helpful distinction. When you look at verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says, Always be joyful. Or James chapter 1 verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I mean, just take a look at those two weird verses because it, it indicates to us that joy, at least in terms of the Bible's definition of joy, is kind of a strange thing. It teaches us that joy is something that can be commanded and chosen. It also tells us that even great troubles or trials can be an opportunity to experience great joy. Not just grudging joy, but real and true joy. That's that's not stuff that we usually associate with happiness. Happiness is an irrepressible or natural reaction to good things, to positive circumstances. So you don't really have to command or train for happiness, because it is how we naturally respond when stuff goes right, when good things or blessings fall upon us. But it says that joy, at least by a biblical definition, is something that's a little different, maybe very different. But we also have to be careful not to overdo it with the differences. We don't want to present biblical joy as some weird sort of mental or emotional manipulation where you convince yourself untruthfully that you feel something you don't feel or that something is true that is really actually not true for you. Joy is something that can be chosen, and it is something that can endure even through great trials. But it's something real, not just some mental gymnastics or a deception of our own hearts. You know, when I see a photo like this of a very happy child, something deep down tells me that biblical joy must, at least at some basic level, resemble, look and feel the way that this child appears to be feeling in this photograph. Biblical joy may be more than worldly happiness, but it can't be something totally unrelated Or foreign to worldly happiness. In other words, when I see that picture of that smiling child, and by the way, it was really good for my soul to do the image search for happy children. I've scrolled through probably three or four hundred pictures of happy children on the internet, and it was just good for my soul to do that. And when we see those happy children, something in us says that, that biblical joy can't be totally different from that. It's not this thing of, trust me, I'm really joyful deep down where no one can see it. That's the way we're trained to think about joy. It's this weird Jedi mind trick where you've convinced yourself there is joy and no one in the world looking at you can detect anything close to happiness at all. Biblical joy and worldly happiness are distinct, but they're not completely unrelated. In his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of books, but this is one where he wrote about himself. It's the only one where he wrote autobiographically. And he writes that he spent his entire life before becoming a Christian. By the way, it's not just an autobiography. It's his story of his slow conversion to Christianity. And he writes that he spent most of his life pursuing happiness in many different places, And as he pursued happiness, he experienced so much different kinds of pleasure. he, He said that this world, even in its fallen state, has so much pleasure to offer. But he also observed that each time he found happiness and experienced pleasure, it left him feeling somehow more empty or yearning for something. And it wasn't that at that time he found the happiness or pleasure to be morally repulsive. He didn't have the conscience or conviction to think of things that way. Um, And the fault was not with the pleasure itself. The pleasure was real, it was true. Like when he listened to great music or ate a delicious steak or any of that, the fault was not in the pleasure itself, but that the pleasure revealed that he was hungry for something else, something different. The fault was not in the pleasure, but in the otherness and the depth of his yearning. And, you know, if if, you're a, uh, if you have a w- wife who's been pregnant and had those pregnancy cravings, you know how frustrating it can be for both of you because she sends you out to the store to look for something. She goes, I think I want pickles and ice cream. You bring back pickles and ice cream. She tries, she goes, no, that's not it. It's that kind of dynamic of you feel the hunger, you try, and the thing itself it doesn't taste bad, but what it reveals each time you try it is, yeah, that's good, but that's actually, it turns out it's not what... I was hungry for. The way C.S. Lewis describes it is, after each pleasure, he said, it was like if you were to offer a mutton chop to a man who is dying of thirst. What a, a great word picture. Because if you're dying of thirst, all you want is liquid, and you can present the most delicious cut of meat, and the meat is perfect, it's great, but it's not what I was actually wanting. See, what he's writing about is that the pursuit of happiness in his life yielded pleasure, but it also revealed the existence of a hunger he didn't realize was driving him all along. He came to see that his life had not actually been the pursuit of pleasure or happiness, but it had been an unending quest for something deeper called joy. And he came to realize over time, and through a lot of serious thought, that only an infinite God could be the source of joy that deep in his heart. Jesus once told the story uh, in Matthew chapter 13:44, about a man finding a treasure hidden in a field. He said, "The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again, and then, in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field see this man discovers something in a field of such infinite value that from that moment on it changes how he looks at the value of everything and what it says is when he found that thing the emotion and the experience that best describes what he was feeling is joy and in that joy of having discovered this thing of infinite worth He goes and liquidates everything he owns of any value, and he trades it in for this thing. And his focus is not at all on what he's giving up, but it's entirely fixated on what he's going to gain. The Apostle Paul testifies about his own life and conversion experience in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. He writes, I once thought these things were valuable, but now... I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. See, the apostle Paul could really relate to Jesus' story of the man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And you know, I think any of us who have come to know Christ can also identify with that testimony. It describes the way we once felt long ago when we first discovered in Jesus Christ that person, that thing which our hearts had always yearned for. Unconditional love, gracious acceptance, hope for the future, a sense that we are not alone in the universe. We have a purpose, and when we run into trouble, we are not by ourselves, but we have the Most Mighty One in the universe who is for us and who is with us. And knowing that, very first time we ever discovered that, the experience could best be described as unbounded joy. Do you remember that feeling? When it was like, how can this be possible? How is it that I came to know this? and the treasure you felt in your heart when you discovered Jesus Christ and the gospel, the good news of what He had done for us. Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember? When we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, this is such a familiar Christmas passage for us, isn't it? Look what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, an angel appeared to a small group of shepherds who were tending their flocks nearby. And while the appearance of the angel terrified these shepherds, what he announced was that he was bringing good news and that this good news would be the source of great joy for everyone who heard and received the good news. And you know what? It has been a source of great joy for every person who has come to see in that baby born that day, the Savior of their lives, and the Lord of the universe. It's not going to be a weak and temporary joy either. The joy that Jesus Christ brings into a human being's life is a joy that can endure even when nothing in our lives is going the way we want. Because while happiness is rooted in circumstances... Biblical joy is rooted in a person and a relationship. And that's powerful, and that's not just Christianese. You've got to hear what is being said here. It's the same way that family works. It's the same way that love works. That when you have the unconditional and unshakable devotion and love of someone you care about, It does not matter what you're going through. Yes, those things do affect you, but the strength and power of that relationship and that unconditional love and acceptance is that even when the world is falling apart, there still remains this capacity for joy deep down because you may not have everything, but you have them. And to have them makes all the difference. And that's the role that Jesus is meant to play in every Christian's life. That's the kind of joy that can survive bad circumstances. A couple weeks ago, Jeannie shared a passage for a devotional in our staff meeting. And each member of our staff takes turns on, on subsequent weeks um, leading us through a, a devotional. And she shared with us Habakkuk 3, 17-18. to 18. Listen to what it says. Though the fig tree does not bud... And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What a beautiful picture of the kind of unshakable joy that can be ours in our Savior. And this is not some uh, imagined joy. It is a choice, but it is also a real experience. And each of us has experienced that kind of joy before, but maybe it has been a very long time since you experienced the joy of your salvation. When's the last time you truly felt that joy of knowing and having Jesus Christ deep down in your heart? When's the last time you smiled, you felt elation secretly in the, in the inner part of your heart? Maybe just while you were walking, while you were thinking, while you were driving or showering, and this thought, this feeling overwhelmed you that whatever else is happening, you are born again, a new creation. You have the unconditional love and acceptance of a God who is almighty, and He is with you and for you. And just that knowledge in that moment supernaturally lifted everything in your heart. When's the last time you had that experience? One of the reasons we have Advent is because it is a time for us to retune our hearts, to the joy of our salvation and the joy of our Savior. You know, there's a lot about Christmas that the world, the unbelieving world, enjoys right alongside of all of us. In fact, a lot of that starts today. I'm recording this video message on Friday, and today's not just any Friday, it's Black Friday. It, it begins that whole um, secular and cultural script associated with Christmas time. I think that's proof that there's so much about Christmas, at least in America that has almost nothing to do with Jesus Christ, because the whole world, believing and unbelieving, enjoys Christmas at some level. I find it strange that I have to specify to Alexa to play Christian Christmas music. That that should be an oxymoron. It shouldn't even be a statement, but that's the irony of it, is that I have to actually specify, Alexa, play Christian Christmas songs. Now, I'm not just I'm not poking fun at our culture. I'm glad that at least there's some draw in this direction. But hear here this: the wonder of knowing Jesus and treasuring him in our hearts, that's an aspect of Christmas that belongs to us and us alone. It is our unique joy. And while the rest of the world may be celebrating in their own way and we are right there alongside of them for so much of it. It's so important at Christmas time and the days leading up to it for us as Christ followers to set aside focus and time and energy to recapture the wonder and the joy of knowing Jesus our Savior because that's the one dimension of this season that is distinctly and uniquely for us and no one else. Yes Christmas is a familiar time of the year. But maybe this year more than ever with Christmas and the holidays just being so unrecognizable, so different, it's one of the most important years ever for us to recalibrate and retune our hearts. So can I invite you to do that? Can I invite you this advent season not to blow off the emails or the campaigns or the devotionals that are being sent to you just Don't be so um, casual about it this year, but can I encourage you, Church, reclaim the joy of your salvation this Advent. Fight for it. Set aside time and focus for it. As we announced earlier, we're starting something called Advent Ember. And please don't understand this to be just some sort of art showcase. It's not about that. You could do anything. There's one day where the, the daily prompt is lights. And maybe in honor of Jesus, for that day, you just go outside with some great music on and you set up the Christmas lights on your house once and for all as a dedication or offering to the Lord. Things like Advent Ember or these Advent devotionals that are so so prevalently available today, these things are like gifts or offerings we bring in the spirit of the Magi. Remember those wise men who came from the East, and as they greeted the newborn king, they brought him gifts and offerings. That's the spirit with which we want to approach Advent this year. So I encourage you to find some way to do anything in your life, creative or otherwise, that is an act of offering and worship and devotion to Jesus. I believe in the process of doing that, He will help retune your heart to the joy and wonder Of your salvation this Christmas. Let's let's continue our worship with a closing song. And uh, when we're done with that, I'm going to come back and dismiss us with a word of blessing. I hope this Advent season will be a tremendous blessing to you, that you'll experience this Christmas differently than you have in a very, very long time. What is familiar often grows cold and numb in our hearts. But the most familiar story of all is the most amazing, joy-filled, life-giving story there ever has been. May the wonder and the joy of our salvation return to us in a powerful way this Advent. May Jesus, whom we seek together, reveal Himself to be the source of our greatest joy. And as your heart is captured by the wonder of who He is, may He be the one who most controls the way that you live. Joy is chosen, but it is also a gift. And may this joy be God's gift to you this Advent. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen